Welcome to Webinex Talks, Additions and Renovations. Renovations and additions can improve the value, livability and sustainability of your home with careful planning, thoughtful design and a considered choice of materials. Given the current economic climate, is there likely to be a greater demand for additions and renovations in Australia? Here today to discuss the benefits, challenges, design factors, material selection and more when it comes to alterations and additions are Jason Economos from Beyond Build, Anthony Windus from Windus Architecture and Interiors and Leanne Katz from Studio Katz Architects. I'm just going to ask our panellists one by one just to give us a quick um, blurb on your background and your involvement, particularly in additions and renovations. So, um, Anthony, if you would like to start. Yeah, great. Yeah, look, uh, I'm Anthony from Windust Architecture and Interiors. We've been around for 10 years now. Um, both me and my partner, who's an interior designer, the interior design director, um, uh, come from big practice background, um, but I guess since we started working uh, for our, you know our own practice, um, we have done a lot of renovations and additions, uh, and they still um, comprise a majority of our work, probably fifty or sixty percent in in the residential area. Um, I guess if you include other um, sectors as well, probably seventy or eighty fit outs and and so on and so forth, but. Um, yeah, so we're, we're heavily involved in it. We concentrate on the um, typically in inner city, inner city sites, um, kind of unlocking kind of heritage issues and town planning and so on. Um, so they're, they're normally kind of tough little sites, but you know they provide a challenge, and, uh, and that's why our clients come to us because of that kind of problem-solving um, ability that we um, that we uh, that we have. That's us. Perfect. And uh, Jason. Yeah, so Jason from Beyond Build. Um, we've been around three years or so. We're a team of 15 carpenters, apprentices, foremans. Uh, we generally have four to five projects going at once. Um, most of our market of the past three years have been that sort of high-end uh, renovations, um, alts, ads, extensions. Um, we have recently sort of tapping into a new build sort of duplex market, but yeah, it's kind of our, our specialty. Um, we do a lot of terrace renovations and uh, attic conversions around the eastern suburbs in the west of Sydney, generally. But um, yeah, I guess we're doing anywhere between 10 to 15 projects a year um, at the moment. And yeah, just uh, that's, that's pretty much it. Beautiful. Thank you, Jason and Leanne. Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Leanne from Studio Cats Architects. Um, I established Studio Cats Architects uh, after working through uh, large corporate companies. Um, and then once getting a handle of the industry uh, construction process, I embarked on working with um, high-end um, uh, projects and clients. And I'm collaborating with architects um, in developing my own firm. And uh, the team at Studio Cats Architects is, it has a combined sort of 30 plus years experience in architecture and interiors. Uh, so we specialize in house and home renovations and additions, um, as well as hospitality mixed use and museum design. Um, I guess we've got anywhere between sort of four to, to six projects going on at one time. Uh, they work largely um, in the eastern suburbs area um, and further afield. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, I guess our specialty at the moment is in uh, residential design and um, yeah, construction, through construction. 
Beautiful, thank you. Um, okay, so we'll jump into the questions. So Jason, can you tell us what are the benefits of making additions and renovations to your home instead of building it brand new? Sure, well, I guess the, the number one advantage would be, would be budget. I mean, when we're sort of, um, we do a fair bit of design as well with, with the local building designer. Um, and I guess the first sort of um, box we're sort of addressing is, is budget. Um, and generally, if, you know, especially in the terraces and, and uh, general renovation market, a lot of the time that there's an existing dwelling that has a lot of character and a lot of, uh, you know, original features that we really kind of retain. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, we can, we do have clients that may be living in the front of the front of the uh, project and we're extending at the rear or vice versa. So um, I guess, yeah, you know, the, the cost saving on going to rent somewhere else. And I guess a lot of compliance as well, you know, it's a lot of these homes that we're working on, they may have, you know, an existing window that's within a 900 boundary, which with a new dwelling, you, you know, sort of change the dynamics on, on what you would get away with and what was compliant, you know, 20 years ago or so. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, original character is, is a big sort of plus trying to retain, which, you know, it's quite hard to get in a new build, obviously a home that's built in the twenties or thirties. It's, you know, it's quite a shame to, to knock it right down. Um, and I guess, you know, speed as well in terms of the, the turnaround, generally a renovation can be, can be fast depending on the size, but yeah, they're probably the, the key features I'd say um, leading into it. Yeah. Beautiful. And um, Leanne or Anthony, would you, do you have anything that you'd like to add to that as well? Um, can, can I just ask a question? Is my is the uh, is the connection here stable enough? I'm, we're just getting a little bit of in and out, uh, um, but you can hear me clearly. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. All right. Great. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, look. Uh, yeah. Look. Similar to Jason, a lot of the uh, people who who we do extensions and renovations for uh, are people that want to keep some of the character of the original house, um, and sometimes they that they have to. Um, in the inner city areas around Melbourne, um, let's say Port Phillip uh, Council and Stonington Council, there's a lot of heritage controls and that really restricts what, what can happen, um, particularly from the front part of the house. So um, there's typical models where you keep the front part of the house and, and then kind of cut in and kind of create a little bit of surgery through the middle and then extend out the back or, you know, add another level on towards the, towards the rear. So that tends to be uh, like a, a typical or a standard, but they're, they're kind of versions of that. Um, but yeah, look, the, um, we find that, uh, that, that people do like cleaning up and, uh, and the, the existing house and there's some really lovely character, elements from uh, Victorian period, um, Art Deco, um, mid-century modern, uh, that, uh, that, they, that, that, that uh, people kind of get quite close to and really want to, um, I guess, celebrate in, in their renovations. Thank you. Um, I, I, I'll add to that, just a small thing to that as well, I guess, okay. you've pretty much covered um, a lot of uh, the experiences that we have, but we, we also find that if the foundation of your, of your home can remain, it allows you to, to focus um, your attention on improvements rather than starting again, but it, uh, particularly that small changes to existing dwellings can have enormous opportunities. 
um, that you may not have previously anticipated. And the, the beauty of renovation is that you can make those changes without incurring the costs of starting again. Um, and I, I guess that's, uh, that to us, that's, that's sort of magic of the renovation. Lovely, thank you. Um, so Anthony, I'll direct the next question to you. So how important is it to choose the right designer and or builder for your project? And what are some of the key factors people need to consider before making their decision? Uh, yeah, look, it's, it's really important to choose the right architect for your, um, for your, <laughs> for your project. Um, but look, it extends to all designers and people within the industry. Um, uh, typically, because we, we provide a full set of services, and I guess so do many other in the industry, um, you spend and invest a lot of time with a, with a client. So typically with our extensions and renovations, they might be anywhere up to, one, up to two, two and a half years. So you, you build these relationships over time, you, you're meeting quite often. Uh, so it's really important to have that kind of personal level of... Um, of getting on together. Um, there needs to be a level of trust as well um, and the trusting in, in our experience, but also in the, in the journey because it's not always black and white and there's, you know, there's things that, you know, that we all learn as we go through. Um, and a key kind of element to that, I think, is the kind of listening, being able to listen and have empathy with the, with the, with the client um, and not just going, okay, well, you know, for this project, I don't care what you think. I'm just going to do the weather text, weather group on it, and that's it. You know, there's, there's that kind of listening and, um, and then eliciting from that, um, you know, the, I guess, the design drivers. So, yeah, it's really important to have a, a good relationship and um, uh, with, with the client. Beautiful. Thank you, Anthony. Jason? Yeah, Leanne, Jason? Um, Anthony, I think uh, you've, you've sort of hit, hit the mark in terms of um, a client and architect relationship being so important. It's, it's almost like a, a long marriage um, and trust and communication is essential. Um, I think also looking for an architect that extends your thinking um, and provides alternatives that you may not have considered. Um, and it gives you, I guess this will give you a greater level of confidence um, that the final decisions that you come to in your renovation um, are suitable and have been well tested. Um, and in that, to that elk, I think an architect that questions your needs and um, is curious about how you live uh, provides you uh, a good uh, a good set of um, examples or good opportunities to, to, to grow your home and, and your livelihood and experience in your home. I'll just uh, chime in. You guys, you know, obviously covered all bases, but I do personally, we feel the sooner that you can engage a builder um, as part of the design as well and, you know, all everyone working as a team um, between architect, builder and, and client, everyone just sort of bouncing off each other. Um, you know, it, it can be quite beneficial, especially, uh, you know, if we've got any influence on, on the design and budget purposes and, and speaking with the engineer and a lot of the time, you know, we've, we've got plans that come to us with a, with DA approval and even, you know, sometimes construction certificates granted and there's not really that much change to shift things around and, you know, it's good to really you know, use all uh, use all areas, I guess. And and you know, when you find a team that works well together and, and they're experienced in the home you're trying to create and build, I think it, it goes a long way. Beautiful, thank you. So, Leanne, I'll direct the next question to you. So, what are the most common ways to add value to your property when it comes to additions, renovations, um, granny flats? 
um, or an extra bedroom, for example? Yep. Um, I think when I was, uh, well, I think in terms of this question, there's two ways to approach it. Um, we're in a very different time to what we were. Um, and I think that this COVID-19 um, world has changed the way we live and also our approach to flexibility within home design. Um, and a need to accommodate a whole range of new functions that previously were not essential to us. Um, so I think from a new world value um, perspective, I think homes today and into the future are gonna need flexibility um, and a focus on living, study and working spaces that are connected, um, but also separate to the core of the home. Um, I think on a human level, there's still elements that are essential to well-being that add value um, or need to be considered when we talk about value. Um, that includes connection to the outdoors, um, surrounding natural environment, uh, introduction of natural light into the home and ventilation, um, and a flow of space to make everyday living easier and more pleasurable. Um, I think design that considers flexibility to be able to accommodate multi-generational living is important, um, and remodeling um, of family living arrangements for the future. Um, I think this may be like a rear garden or granny flat, um, a bedroom and bathroom facility on a ground floor level, um, or new ways to separate public and private spaces within the home. Um, and I think more specifically, the like, key areas of focus are always um, those that support our daily lives. Um, they include, you know, opening up of spaces, reorganizing spaces, but also upgrades to essential amenities, kitchens, bathrooms, uh, joinery storage, um, and also considering sustainable energy and design in the home. I think all that value. Mm. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. It does. Um, Anthony, Jason, would you like to add to that? I think that was a, a very good, um, very good and comprehensive uh, summary, Leanne. Um, look, I, I just kind of cut out there on my uh, internet. Sorry, it's something. It must be the weather down here in Melbourne. Um, so I, I, I didn't get the, the um, all of it, and uh, and you guys became statues in the background. Um, but look, there's some beautiful qualitative kind of elements to, to what Leanne was was saying in terms of adding value, and I guess that's you know kind of intrinsic to the design process and. Um, and um, sometimes the uh, we look at the quantitative as well, where uh, where we, we we look at, and sometimes our clients actually ask us, you know, is is are we overcapitalizing, for example, and uh, and and and, uh, and and that sometimes determines budgets going forward. Um, you know, what, what what is the property going to be worth in five or ten years' time, um, and and therefore, you know, looking back to to the now. In terms of adding value, you know, what what's the economic value that we add through through that extension? Because um, sometimes extensions, uh, by their nature, are nearly is nearly is as expensive as to you know just build a new house. Um, and, you know, sometimes because you've got to cut in and do that kind of minor surgery, and, and sometimes with the older houses, once you've um, redone all the electrical and um, and uh, cleaned up some of the walls and leveled the floor and gotten rid of some of the, the moist, you know, the, the rising damp and so on. And uh, you may as well knock, knock the thing down economically, right? So, um, yeah, it's, sometimes there's that, the, the metrics and quantitative thing that we, I guess, need to address with, with our clients in terms of, and, and, and see what that means, you know, if you add an extra, you know, couple of rooms or, um, you know, uh, bathrooms and, and, and so on. Um, uh, I think that's kind of equally kind of important and it's important to some of our clients in terms of the conversations that we have. 
I think that uh, overcapitalization question comes up sort of first or second meeting and thinking, you know, what's, what's our home worth exactly as Anthony said, and, and really just trying to be strategic with the scope and not, not overcapitalizing, but it's a hard, uh, it can be a hard conversation to have because, you know, we could be designing someone's dream home for the next five years. And, and in my opinion, there can be too much of a compromise worrying about the market and what might happen if you may sell further down the track and not focusing on the experience as it should be. Um, building as the home that you will plan to next spend the next five to 10 years in. And, you know, instead of thinking, oh, why did we spend that extra 50 grand on this? More thinking, well, we spent that, let's enjoy this. And, you know, as we know, the market's very unpredictable and um, especially over the last 10 years or so. And, and I think it is, it's something to be conscious of, but I don't think it should dictate exactly where your, where your renovation heads. Mm. Mm. I actually, I agree with that one, Jason. Mm. Dictate, really shouldn't. Okay. So Jace, um, what are the main challenges for additions and renovations? I guess, um, oh, look, depending on the, the scale of the project, but I guess weather's always a bit of a factor, especially if, you know, we're looking at a first floor addition and, you know, Murphy's Law, as soon as that roof comes off, we, we settle in for a, a couple of weeks worth of rain or, you know, as soon as we break ground in the, in the back of someone's house, it's actually happened at the moment on, on a project in Marrickville, been trying to pour concrete over the last sort of two weeks and we just keep sort of get hammered in and the footings are caving in. So, I mean, it's, that's sort of one thing, which is a little bit, you know, unpredictable but i guess the other conversation that comes up quite early is unforeseen issues you know really until you're pulling off plasterboard on the existing walls you really don't know what the frame's doing you don't know what's structural components are there you don't know what um you know the house is potentially sitting on in terms of foundations so there is that conversation and you know from experience we'll, we'll try and flag things early if we do think that there might be a risk of something popping up that, that we weren't aware of but yeah it's uh that's probably you know the unknown things that can always be a bit of a challenge and and you know we do our best at, at trying to trying to pivot and steer the situation right but uh yeah i guess other factors play in well you guys will probably go into the approvals um and you know whether you go down that cdc or da path but that can always be a bit of a, a slippery slope sometimes, I think, you know, if you're not, if you're not compromising too much on the compliant development um, to just try and get the application through. But yeah, I mean, oh, look, every project, I guess, is pretty independent um, with its own challenges and whatnot. But yeah, there's some, some pretty general observations. Yeah. And would you like to add anything to that, Leanne or Anthony? I'll go then. Um, yeah, look, uh, I guess following up on uh, what Jason was saying, um, yeah, I guess once once some of the, uh, the, the, the roof and some of the walls come down, extension and renovations, then we start to see the bigger picture and, um, and then, you know, we, we often kind of met with certain surprises, I guess. Um, they're not surprises, because we've done it quite often, <laughs> we, kind of, we know that there's um, that there will inevitably be some kind of issues that need to get addressed in terms of the existing structure um, uh, and the condition of something that might have been there for for, for decades, for example. Um, often, you know, uh, uh, rewiring 
and kind of re-leveling um, and kind of moisture and so on are, are kind of issues with the existing buildings that need to be addressed. Um, and also kind of the, the, the construction or pivot point from where the new meets the, oh sorry, the existing meets the, the new and kind of any kind of movement through that and how to kind of structurally kind of integrate that within the within the whole within the project so that can become you know a challenge um jason touched on the uh yeah pro, uh, the permit and approvals process um and um yeah town planning uh with regard to heritage yeah it's 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 becoming more and more challenging i guess in terms of heritage uh and and, and so it should because there's some really good things that need to be preserved within the the inner city environments um, uh, water levels as well, Melbourne water, <laughs> so that can be a, uh, 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 because of, you know, potential, you know, sea level rises and so on around the, you know, around the Bay Area here. Um, but yeah, th that's, you know, a, a large majority, part, or large part of our work is actually uh, addressing those, those town planning issues, you know, at the, at the beginning and um, addressing Heritage, Melbourne Water, and um, um, overlooking it. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a, you know, uh, an isolated pavilion out in, in the kind of rural areas that, that we're talking about. We're talking about something that's in the inner city. There's lots of boundary issues with neighbours and fire rating and um, and waterproofing between between uh, neighbours as well. Um, yeah, there's 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 a bit to it. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, just in line yeah. with that, too, the more the more dense the environment is that you're working in, obviously, the more um, sort of risk assessment and, and neighbour concerns that have to be um, accommodated. But even just during the process of um, renovating, um, and Jason can probably attest to that, is that the project is never a final design um, and it's fixed. There's always sort of hoops that need to be jump, to jump through based on the existing structure and things that pop up. But I think in some respect, um, the, the the project grows as the construction develops and and um, not so much changes, but it grows with what's found in the construction process. And I think that flexibility uh, is important to understand when you're renovating that there that it won't be a fixed um, as much as it, it can be that your design intent stays the same. But if there are things and challenges that are thrown up on site. Um, working around those becomes important and the design will grow as a result of those as well. Um, yeah, something to keep in mind. Thank you. Okay, so Leanne, are there any misconceptions in the market about designing and building um, additions and renovations? Uh, I think they're, they're, we've tried to well think about a few um, for, for this. Um, I think uh, we touched on um, authority approvals um, but I think even relatively small projects often require authority approvals particularly the, the more dense the environment is and the more impact there is on view sharing and uh, environmental factors uh, neighbors etc uh, but I think engaging the right professionals to assist you to navigate these requirements and which is the best path to approach uh, is essential I think that's number one um, I think as well as that we often see clients um, where their brief doesn't match a budget uh, so it's a good idea to get an understanding early on of what the budget will afford um, and Jason like you say whether it's getting your preferred builder in um, or speaking to a professional um, 
but using them sort of a professional can also help you understand where you can adjust your, your design um, or your brief to better manage this disparity. Um, I think if you focus on what you can afford um, and do it well, so you don't spread yourself too far, uh, it's sort of something to, to be aware of. Um, I think also renovation work on older buildings, we spoke about this can lead to unforeseen um, issues and or costs. Um, and while new builds are not always smooth, um, it's important to be prepared for the unexpected um, and budget accordingly uh, with contingency. Um, I think engaging professionals who are experienced can alleviate this to some extent, uh, but always allow for contingency. Um, and I think often there's a temptation to use an architect to do the design um, and assist with authority approvals and then take it from there. Um, but I think uh, Anthony and Jason can attest to this as well is that um, in construction, and more specifically renovation work, I think design decisions continue on site uh, until the very last day of the project. Um, and I think that an architect's role um, can extend beyond design and drawing. Um, and I guess the other one who has a grasp of the entire project to help you make those decisions. And often um, decisions on site seem to create an obstacle to prevent you from achieving your original design intent. Um, but I think professionals are the ones who can help you to um, work around whatever issues come up um, to make sure that you are still achieving your uh, intent and that it's not an impact to your um, your final project. Um, and also, obviously, uh, professionals to assist with appropriate material selections, uh, considering aesthetics, longevity, uh, maintenance, ease of construction um, to help the project flow is important. And obviously, um, materials that meet your budget. So a few things. I think uh, Leanne hit the nail on the head in terms of... Um you know, designing to a budget, I guess a pretty big misconception is holding your cards close to your chest when it comes to how much you want to spend on your project. You know, the more transparency there is early days with the architect and the builder, I guess the biggest misconception would be, I don't want to tell you my budget because that's what you'll charge. You know, like it's just a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, you know, it's a pretty frustrating conversation to have early days where, you know, if we're all, everyone's upfront and honest, we can design and build to that budget, obviously with contingency, but, you know, it saves a lot of guesswork and a lot of groundwork um, leading up to that stage. You know, there's, and I'm sure Leanne and, and Anthony would, would agree that, um, you know, a first floor addition could start anywhere between that, you know, $3,000 and go up to $6,000 a square metre, um, depending on selection of finishes and, and whatnot. Whereas, you know, if, if, client will come to us and say, hey, we have 300 to 300 to build. Um, that's it, Max, you know, we'll design to 250, leave that contingency there. And, you know, which unfortunately there is always, you know, those little unknown things that pop up. But yeah, I just think being upfront, honest and with your architects and builders early days is, is going to save you in the long run. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult com uh, area or challenging um, because uh, I can understand from the, the client and owner's point of view is that, you know, being up, uh, up front and honest is, is one thing, but a lot of people don't understand their real costs of what their, what their dreams are and what their, what their, um, what their home build will cost. Um, and, you know, they might be prepared to go a little bit more than what they expected if, you know, just, I guess, circumstances um, warrant it. Uh, yeah. So, that, and, and they might, yeah, so, so there's a misunderstanding, little bit of misunderstanding with regard to that. And um, the, what, what we find is that, um, you know, everyone's got 
uh, like a mate or they've heard someone that's you know someone in the family had the, their extension or renovation done for um, you know one thousand five hundred fifteen hundred dollars a you know a square meter or, or something like this um, and, and and so that sets expectations up and then and then you know then there's this kind of really really kind of protracted difficult conversation through to try to kind of you know um, uh, provide a real context because as you're saying Jason these types of extensions and renovations are within that cost bracket construction cost bracket between three and six thousand dollars a square meter and um, if someone starts at fifteen hundred dollars a square meter that expectation is um, is uh, I guess it's um, yeah it's kind of hard challenging to, to manage um, and, and building costs haven't they certainly haven't um, decreased over time. We've found over the last you know, two years or th two and a half years, that even five years, that kind of become a lot more expensive. Things might be a little bit different now because of the, you know, the, the new world. But um, you know, maybe over the next three to six months, I know, depending on the home builder scheme, maybe we can talk about that <laughs> later. But um, yeah, look, there's a. Uh, um, I think the budget thing is, uh, is, is probably one of the key areas of, um, you know, kind of misconception and, um, uh, and that's why we, and I, I guess, uh, Leanne, you probably in, do this as well as get a, like, um, a third party, like a cost planner or quantity surveyor to do a check on our job. So we just, we have someone else other than us to kind of provide an opinion of, of cost. Um, just right from the beginning so that um, we kind of mitigate all that risk, you know, so we're not designing something that's kind of really outside uh, a, um, a person's ability to pay and, um, and we make sure that we're kind of within their, the, 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 the comp, within the budget that, uh, that they've set. So, um, and again, to Jason's point, um, our website to, uh, do a lot more kind of negotiated tenders where we bring the builders in early with, you know, a trusted selection of builders that we have and work with um, who we know that might be appropriate for the job and start those conversations early on and say, you know, here's our sketch design, you know, can you give us a ballpark on that and then kind of, and then kind of work from there, um, you know, and, and kind of um, proceed in good faith uh, and, uh, and we find that that's, quite a beneficial way of working as well. It's kind of less adversarial and, and um, more um, um, constructive. Thank you. Um, so Anthony, while you're there talking, um, can you just tell us what are some of the important factors in selecting materials to use on renovations and additions? Yeah, great. Um, look, I hope my connection's still good because I'm I'm am kind of struggling to hear you guys a little bit. But look, um, I guess there's a number of uh, key factors. Um, one is a, uh, I guess the resilience of materials, and that kind of addresses our um, kind of our uh, responsibilities in specifying things that are going to last the distance as well as you know easy to maintain and so on. And I kind of put that under the uh, the the name of resilience, um, you know, no one wants something that's going to kind of, you know, we don't want to specify something that's going to fall apart or, you know, become, um, 
you know, need repairs. It's got a lot last distance. Um, another thing is uh, installation and uh, the ability to kind of install it readily and um, and have um, like have been used before and, and have builder experience in that too. Um, sustainability is 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 important, um, and I know that um, you know the, the there's a um, in particularly in like well, in residential renovations we you apply the the typically the first rate which is under the kind of the neighbors scheme which really is about um, the energy use in buildings or that part of sustainability kind of in the operations of buildings and um, but you know we're, we're also interested in the sustainability materials where they come from where they you know what goes into their manufacturer uh, and um, so on. So that's that's number three. Number four is costs. Um, and um, yeah, look, that's that is important. Um, you know, I always argue that because uh, we're you know kind of primarily focusing on external materials today is that uh, you know they're, they're very important and you know we shouldn't be too concerned about small degrees in cost variation in external materials because you know they they house the building i mean they're so important in terms of kind of pr protecting the the inside from the weather and um and the overall look of the building too um which is which is the fifth category is kind of the aesthetics um, typically, we you know pick a story and or or an aesthetic direction, uh, and um, and then kind of the material choices come from there. So this is really important to us that, that the the material actually fits in with that with the story. Um, and maybe I can cite a couple of examples later on where you know we've created a you know we've had a design direction and then picked a material that uh, that kind of suited that. But so they're the the five areas the. Um, uh, resilience, kind of practical application, you know, practical installation, cost, sustainability, and aesthetics. Okay, Leanne, would you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I guess also um, for us, uh, we like to think about um, local um, products as well and, and try and focus on, on locally um, uh, made products. I think uh, particularly in the last few months we found, um, and Jason, you might have something to say about this, but we found that a lot of the products that are coming in from overseas um, have had issues in terms of timing and delays. Um, I think for that alone, but also just generally speaking, we tried to um, try and support some more locally uh, made products um, and obviously uh, fit the purpose, but locally made. Um, and also, again, the sustainability is a huge factor for us. Um, and uh, sustainability in terms of environment, but also in terms of the individual and the maintenance required to keep uh, your your house looking um, as, as good as it was when it was first built um, and the longevity of, of the materials. Um, but also ease of construction is important for us um, and safety and that being safety on site uh, during construction uh, for those people that are building the house but also for, for the inhabitants that the materials are um, natural and um, are safe for long-term living in the house. Yeah, I guess uh, durability plays a, a big part in our in our selections as well. I mean, you know, we're we're building homes that we want to be there for the next 50, 60, 70 years at least. Um, whereas, you know, going especially on the external cladding and finishes and whatnot, as as Anthony and both Leanne have touched on, it's it's something you don't really want to pull back on. You want, you know, it's 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 housing the every bit of internal, you know. Um, 
finish of the house, it's especially uh, being external is just exposed to all elements. So it's, you know, especially when you're close, close to the coast or whatnot, you just really got to be, be pretty uh, selective and, you know, you don't want to be, most of our clients don't want to be out there, you know, touching up and painting their house every, every 12 months, every, every two years, or especially some, some natural timber products that, you know, that plays a big selection. Some do love it and, and they don't mind it, but majority of the time we're feeling that maintenance free for a lot of our clients is, is sort of that path that they're, they're trying to be guided on. Definitely. Yeah, I understand that we, we get a lot of um, questions about, you know, maintenance free um, or how often do I have to maintain my, my cladding and paint. So totally mm. understand that one. Mm. Um, guess, sorry, just add to that too, timeless too. I think um, mm. it feels that your tours need to be timeless. I think if they're going to date um, from an aesthetic perspective as well, um, you'd rather select something that's got a, a longer lifespan in that regard. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Um, so, Jason, how important is selecting sustainable products for you and your customers? Oh, look, especially in the last few years, we've, you know, we've definitely more people are more aware and the education starting to get out there. And a lot of our clients are wanting to know what's what's going into the materials in their home, where it's where it's um, where it's made, where it's grown, where you know if it's coming in from overseas, if it's you know, that sustainability is a big part. And especially for us, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can. We're on the right path to become a more sustainable building company. Um, but I think, you know, those questions are getting asked more and more these days with, with the more uh, information out there. Um, everything's super accessible. And, yeah, a lot of clients are, are wanting to know where, you know, where this timber's sourced from and, you know, where this, where this cladding is coming from. And, and they're asking those questions where, I mean, you know, three, four years ago, I'm not sure that those questions were being asked as much as they are now. So I think sustainability plays a big part, um, you know, especially for our guys on site as well. Um, you know, the ease of the ease of installation and safety and everything as well is, is definitely high up there on the priority list. Yeah, yeah. And um, Leanne or Anthony, would you like to add to that as well? Um, yeah, I was just going to say that we're, we're quite focused on um, the whole concept of, of um, sustainability from a carbon neutral perspective. Uh, I mean, it wasn't very long ago that we had devastating bushfires that sort of brought this into onto, into attention. And um, it's something that we really strive to do is to, to choose the right products that, that help us to achieve that. Um, and I think also sustainability generally in construction is cheaper in the longer term. And so there's a you know a double benefit to the end user. Yep. Jason, we've just, sorry, Anthony, we just had a question um, come in um, from Luke. So he just wanted to know, um, are customers tending to pay more for sustainable products? Yeah, I think it just needs to be explained, but absolutely. You know, if there's a, a like for like and one sourced unethically and, and you know, one sourced, well, let's say from recycled materials and, and you know, the it's a, you know, a marginal difference then absolutely clients are, we're finding clients are happy to pay for that for their own peace of mind and you know they can be proud that they chose a sustainable product over over a competitor that may not be as sustainable so i think it needs to be explained don't get me wrong if you just put you know sort of two samples down you say this one's cheaper then you know i think majority of people are going to go towards that path but 
if the conversation's had and, and you're aware and you're educated on, on where the material has been sourced, then yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Anthony. Would you like to add? Yeah, look, I think it yeah for us and what we see out there is it um, comes back to those five factors that we were talking about before and creating weighing weighing all of those up. Um, you know, often often cost does come down to it and trying to you know at, at the um, in um, if if all other factors are, are are equal, like Jason was saying, if there's a conversation to be had around it, and that conversation needs to happen early um, in the piece to kind of bring people on board and to kind of and then kind of reinforce it during the course of the of the of the um, design and development of, uh, of of projects. I mean, look, it's. Um, yeah, we. I mean, I think as designers and architects, we kind of we lead in in this in this area. And um, and look, some of our clients are, you know, um, are more informed than us. In fact, but that's rarely the case. It's more, um, it's more us kind of introducing these ideas to them and um, and 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 explaining it, um, uh, because you know if you know sometimes you know if you get to the um, you know the contract signing stage and and and, and uh, finding the last bits and uh, decisions with regard to material selection and so on. Um, you know, we just don't want the con to be totally kind of concentrated on cost if if it's just a small amount. So I, I guess that's what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, look, I think that it, it's always a work in progress, and we're all and we're all kind of moving in this, in, in in that direction. So um, we're certainly within our peer group, you know, within our within within the design and architecture industry is really important. It's it's, it's I get that, but for us, it's our responsibility is to bring other people in, on board uh, and and to have those conversations and to, and to um, and, and show why it's important. Beautiful. Thank you. So. Um, Anthony, while, while I've got you there, um, how long have you been using WeatherTex? And in your opinion, um, tell us the reasons why WeatherTex is ideal when making additions and renovations. I thought you might ask me this question. <laughs> um, the um, look, we we. <laughs> Uh, we, we first used WeatherTex about, I think it was four or five years ago on a, um, on a, on a kind of upmarket extension uh, in, um, when I say upmarket, it was kind of a nice house in, in uh, locally here in South Melbourne. Uh, and it was one of these heritage houses that I was talking about. So the extension, uh, the front part of the heritage house was kind of like a, a white Victorian terrace house and the, the extension needed to be quite uh, recessive and, um, and in, in appearance in relation to the heritage house. So, so we chose um, like a dark um, timber profile uh, and I think it was, uh, I'll have to read here, but it was the, yeah, the, the, the WeatherTex Weathergroove uh, natural uh, product and we, we painted that in black Japan. Um, for that particular project and it provided a really nice distinction between um, the extension, the two level extension out of the back, you know, in relation to the kind of the, the lighter colored uh, period house at the front. Um, you know, the, obviously the reason for choosing it kind of was because um, it met most of those five creative guys talking about before. Um, resilience, it had a good proven track record. Um, the cost was was fine. Installation, 
a-okay that you know the builder was just was all over it um aesthetics it looked great and um and you know had the sustainability you know, credentials there because of the, all your products i believe are um are, are, you know sourced from hardwoods in, in in new south wales you know all kind of certified you know with the uh, you know with the green tag and the the um the forestry certifications as well so so that was a that was a that was an easy choice um and then we most recently used uh, WeatherTex for a, for a job called the Beehive, uh, which finished at the end of last year. Um, and this was a highly sustainable project that, that, you know, the clients were really interested in that. They had the whole solar farm and um, heat exchanges, et cetera. And, um, and it was a completely opposite design brief. It was, this was to be kind of lighter and um, to appear light and bold. And so we chose um, like a, a profiled, um, I'll have to read it again. Um, it's called the self-lock um, old colonial because it had a bit of a three-dimensional kind of uh, chamfer to it. Um, and there's a self-lock thing. And the, yeah, the builder, you know, away they go. And um, and it was all pre, um, uh, pre-finished. So we just chose the surf mist colour bond colour. It was all pre-finished, you know, it just came to sight and they just, you know, um, um, put it up. So um, yeah, again, it met those five criteria that we, we're talking about. I mean, not all of our projects are obviously weather text, but those those two um, were, um, were were good examples of where it kind of the the, the actual product met the met the criteria in a in, in a positive way in, in all of those criteria. Good to hear. Good to hear. Thank you, um, Leanne. Would you like to add to that? Um, yeah, I think um, the, for us, the um, used weather text in a few projects. Um, and uh, we have just specified it for um, another. Um, but from uh, sort of farmhouse a few years ago, um, using the Woodland um, uh, look, um, and then now to um, using a smoother, um, the smoother profile. Um, the the WeatherTech is, is, was easy to install. Um, it was light and easy for the builders to work around. Um, one of the projects we've used it on was to cloud um, an upper level um, which had access from a roof deck. So uh, getting the product onto site was, was fairly easy. Um, and I think uh, just the, the fact that it can be um, fixed directly without any sort of fancy fixing mechanism um, really excited the builder. <laughs> um, but, uh, but more than that, it has an amazing uh, look for the client. And I think from a farmhouse sort of setting to a more urban setting, which was actually um, adjacent to a um, heritage conservation area, um, the weather text really um, suited it. And there was enough sort of variety in the different products for us to be able to specify it in both um, situations. Um, and, and now we've specified it again for uh, another um, heritage project. And um, the, the look of the weather text in relation to the old style shiplap um, cladding just brings, has a similar sort of vein and can be used in that context, but brings it into a more modern um, light. So I think um, for those, for those reasons, and then obviously everything that Daphne said as well, um, it's been a, a really uh, good product for us to specify on a range of jobs. So. Lovely, thank you. And Jason, of course, you love using WeatherTech. Yeah, absolutely. We've, uh, you know, we first used WeatherTech a couple of years ago, and you know, it's uh, more and more so in, in recent times. But you know, it's it's super easy for the guys to install on site. You know, there's there's minimal risk of of inhaling as, as you know, competitors are. There's a lot of silica dust in the air these days and a lot of products. And, you know, to take that dynamic out for the guys on site, it's, you know, we're, we're a lot more comfortable. There's, there's no guilt there. It's, you know, it's super light, easy to install. 
easy to finish. It's, it's quite versatile, you know, there's a bunch of different finishes and styles and whatnot. And as Anthony said, you know, paint it Japan black or, or seal it. And you can really get that, you know, charred hardwood look for a fraction of the price. And it's, um, you know, that, that sort of component and, and extensive range makes it, makes it really easy for us to use on site. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's being locally sourced and sustainable. You've got that sort of feel good component as well, which is, which is always good, but I mean, it's quite easy. It's quite as easy to get, you know, if we run short on, on a few panels or whatnot, it's, we can usually get it there the next day or possibly the day after. And yeah, it's, you know, it's quite, quite an easy system to use for us on site, which, which plays a big component, um, you know, pass on those cost savings to our clients and, sort of win, win, win. Yeah, that's what we like to hear. It's yeah. Lovely. Thank you. Um, so um, we're finished pretty much. Um, all right, we've got a couple of questions to go. Um, so just um, to our audience, if you've got questions, um, we've got about 10 minutes left to send them in. Um, but Leanne, I do have one question for you. Um, so just given the current economic climate and the recent government grant, and we're all sort of itching to get onto this, this topic, um, is there likely to be a greater demand for additions and renovations in Australia? I think, um, I think this is a, a, a complex question. Um, I think the government grant um, has, um, has, is going to make a big, big um, impact in, in how people approach renovations. But I think more than the current economic climate, I have to say, I think the social experience um, that we've all had has had a considerable impact um, on attitude towards renovations and additions, uh, particularly in Australia. Um, I think that we've all spent uh, like an extraordinary amount of time in our homes um, and our experience of the spaces within the home has been affected um, by, you know, topic priorities, um, the need for work, homeschooling, uh, exercise, probably more than it was ever needed before, if it was ever needed before. Um, I think that um, flexibility in the home is now able to accommodate a range of new functions um, and, and uses were previously not thought of as being essential. And I think um, that it's going to be in all of our minds, the need to upgrade our environments um, and, and the need to upgrade our environments is going to increase. Um, and I think that not only in a, a housing environment, I think um, more globally, I think our experience of the built environments can be reinterpreted at all levels, be it from the individual house to uh, urban environments that supplement our living um, experiences, um, as well as corporate offices and workspaces. Um, and I think we're all being being forced to remodel and rethink our built spaces um, and, and how they suit our changing world. Um, and I think that the social dynamic and maybe even family dynamics as a result of the economic uh, climate um, is going to make uh, a big difference in how people think about renovations. Um, and I, I expect that the notion of renovation won't be far from the minds of most Australian homeowners um, across a range of budgets. And obviously that the government um, stimulus is, um, is of assistance in that regard. But I think, uh, I think that's sort of what's going to propel the Australian um, renovation uh, boom or, or, or um, hopefully boom. Um, because I think people socially have had to deal with so much that they're now having to relook at, at the environment that they live in. Um, yeah, that's sort of our take on where things are going. Lovely. And 
Yeah, look, uh, I, I I agree. Um, yeah, they, it's very topical because it's just you know it's just uh, been in the news and been granted <laughs> uh, the last in the last week. Um, but it, it's it seems um, a little bit of a vexed kind of uh, uh, thing. I, it, it can only lead to more renovations. It won't lead to less. Um, but yeah, like Leanne was saying, there's uh, you know our relationship to our spaces is probably kind of developed or changed in for, for, for many people um, and um, how that might play out will be kind of interesting uh, they'll obviously be you know the where, where the, there might be more of a need for people to have flexible spaces where they can um, not only have a bedroom but also have a, like a, an extra study area and um, and play area uh, and, and, and a space that can be used for a, a multitude of um, kind of activities going forward um yeah so look the i guess the the regardless of you know whether we get the vaccine or whatever all those type of things you know people's relationship to work and um and their and by in turn their residential environments will will be affected and um i guess we saw a lot of the a lot of that initial reaction when um you know with the queues at the at the you know the b hardware store with Bunnings hardware store where people were, were spending a lot of time at home and going, oh, well, you know, we might do this and that. And um, I guess by virtue of that, you know, we've, we've received quite a lot of calls in the last couple of weeks um, for people wanting to do renovations. It's, uh, um, you know, slightly different from, from the type of interest that we had pre-COVID, in fact. You know, there was a drop-off immediately, you know, in, in uh, March and April, but, you know, as soon as May happened, um, and particularly in the last two weeks, we've had a lot more interest in, in renovations and extensions. Um, so, um, yeah, looking forward, it's uh, it, there's, you know, hopefully some a lot of positive change that comes out of this and some things that we can, you know, adapt and, and or adopt and, um, and, and, and work with in the future. Um, yeah, I, I, ha I think there's probably one out of our group have, can probably you know access the home builder grant there's some limitations and all the rest of it that uh, that you know um that that, that that they come into play um but look i think um yeah regardless of that there's uh, it you know there's still a, a healthy um a healthy demand i think for for renovations and extensions yeah it's um yeah people want to live in the areas that they've lived in and um and moving houses are, is frustrating <laughs> Okay. I agree. I agree. And and Jason, would you like um, to add? Yeah, exactly. As as Anthony said, I, I don't think it's going to slow it down by all means. But I think that you know, extra twenty five grand might just be that sort of extra push that that a lot of families might need to sort of get the ball rolling. Um, you know, we've we, there was definitely that weird period where we're all glued to our TVs, watching the prime minister tell us if we could leave the house the following day or not, which put a lot of people in, in an uncertain time. Um, you know, a few people that, that we have been in the design period um, sort of asking the questions and whatnot. And, you know, we're trying to answer them as, as best as possible, but all our projects have, have seemed to progress and go ahead. And if not, you know, as Anthony said, in the last sort of three or four weeks, we've, we've been getting quite a, quite a bunch of inquiries lately, um, which is very promising sign. Um, and, you know, we're usually around that 
sort of 12 months uh, pipeline sort of full of work, which is great. And, and a lot of clients are willing to wait until um, mid to early next year, which, you know, a lot of, I know a lot of people were, were super worried about the economy really slowing down and come September and whatnot, which from, from what we're seeing, it's hopefully, you know, we seem to be coming through on the other side in the construction industry, especially. Um, but yeah, look, I think the stimulus will, will help a lot of people. There are a few, few boxes to tick to become eligible. Um, but yeah, especially in the last week or so, every client that we have sort of um, in the design stage is, is asking that question. So, you know, I think it's, it's going to be great because as we know, it's not just us and, you know, the architects and builders, it's, it's all the trades, it's the suppliers, it's the, you know, it just feathers out and to keep the construction industry going is, is pretty critical. And, you know, I think it's, it's going to do quite a lot of good, hopefully in the long run. I agree. Mm. Absolutely. So um, that brings today to an end. I just would like to thank everybody um, for attending and a special thanks to Jason, Leanne and Anthony 